Hi, everybody, and welcome to Martin Bandike Undercovers, produced in partnership with the Ann Arbor District Library. Our interview this month is with author Drew Philp about his new book, A $500 House in Detroit, Rebuilding an Abandoned Home and an American City. Drew Philp, an idealistic college student from a working-class Michigan family, decides to live where he can make a difference. He sets his sights on Detroit, the failed metropolis of abandoned buildings, widespread poverty, and rampant crime. Arriving with no job, no friends, and no money, Drew buys a ramshackle house for 500 bucks in the east side neighborhood known as Poletown. The roomy Queen Anne home he now owns is little more than a clapboard shell on a crumbling brick foundation, missing windows, heat, water, electricity, and a functional roof. A $500 house in Detroit is Philp's raw and earnest account of rebuilding everything but the frame of his house, nail by nail and room by room. The book is also a tale of a young man finding his footing in the city, the country, and his own generation. We witness his concept of Detroit shift expand and evolve as his plan to save the city gives way to a life forged from political meaning, personal connection, and collective purpose. As he assimilates into the community of Detroiters around him, Drew Philp guides readers through the city's vibrant history and engages in urgent conversations about gentrification, racial tensions, and class warfare. I began my interview with Drew Philp by asking him about his upbringing, where he went to school, and where he grew up. Yeah, yeah, I grew up in Adrian, Michigan, a fairly blue-collar family. Um, and then I was lucky enough to uh, be able to go to the University of Michigan. I felt very lucky to be able to do that. And um, I guess when I was graduating college, I saw everybody leaving. Um, I think there were something like 50 to 75% of graduates of the University of Michigan were leaving the state. Um, this was in 2008, right at the bottom of the kind of economic downturn. And as I felt very lucky to get that education, I, I thought I should do something with it kind of at home and didn't want to leave. So that's when I decided, actually, before I was uh, done with school, to move to Detroit. And for, I think, my last two semesters, I would hitchhike back and forth between uh, Detroit and Ann Arbor to finish up and I, did eventually graduate. Why was that so important to you with so many people just wanting to do, wanting nothing to do with Detroit? Why did you want to stay here and why did you want to buy a, a house and move in Detroit just as we were hitting the, the worst spot in this recession? Well, it seemed like, uh, you know, at the time, maybe a little naively, not just Detroit, but Michigan in general needed um, some love. And I, you know, I, again, I felt lucky and special to get this education, and I thought it could be best used here. Um, why Detroit in particular? Well, um, I thought what I could do here would have more of an impact around not only the state, but the country. Um, what I did in Detroit would ha- affect my cousin framing out houses in Kalamazoo, or my sister, who is a nurse in Lansing. And Detroit is also really the heartbeat of the United States, I think, certainly the region. Um, but Detroit has a lot of kind of psychological power over America, and what Detroit was and what Detroit is, what Detroit could be, are very um, important things to the American psyche. So it was important to me to move to Detroit because of that as well, and to be able to kind of think and play with those things, too. And what did you say? What did you study at U of M? 
Um, so my degree is in general studies. In general studies, got it. And, and you, gradu- <laughs> you graduated in what year? I believe it was 08. I graduated in the winter, I, and I, I think it was the winter of 08. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure. It might have been the winter of 09, but it was the 08 school year, something like that. It's just incredible to, to, to just looking at the cover of your of your book, buying a house for five hundred dollars. I mean, <laughs> it's just little. I mean, basically chump change. Did did you realize once that hammer dropped, like God, what the hell did I just get into? <laughs> well, well, they call it they call it real estate because it's real. Um, mm. But uh, I knew what I was getting into. Yeah, I knew how much work I was. I had ahead of me. Uh, you know, the, the house had no windows, no plumbing, no electricity. There was a pornographic hole in the roof, and it was filled with trash. I took more than ten thousand pounds of trash just out of the first floor. So I knew what I was doing. But I wanted that. You know, especially in the economic downturn, there's a difference between employment and work, right? Um, I even if I was underemployed here. Even if I couldn't necessarily have the job I could want, I could always have work. I could always have something to keep busy, um, to kind of put my soul and energy into that would make me feel good about myself. And, and part of that was the house. It was doing this house. Um, I knew I would always have something to occupy me and kind of, Instead of, you know, wasting my 20s in a haze of marijuana smoke and cat videos. Um, <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I know Not what you mean. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but <laughs> I just wanted something different. I had enough uh, college, I think. Yeah, sure. Now, g- give us some geography. Where, where Where is your house? Where where, did, where where in the city of Detroit are you located? So I live in a neighborhood called Pole Town, which is uh, just about due east of Eastern Market. Oh, okay. All right. And, and describe the the neighborhood back then when, when you first moved in. Ooh, this is um, uh, more than a little bit harrowing. Um. So yeah. So the neighborhood uh, is much better now. At the time, it was you know it gets a little bit dangerous and sketchy. Um, there were gunshots often, and that's you know that can't be. Um, it can be dealt with any other way. There were some scary things going on. I've had, I think, four structure fires, um, three of which of those structures have burned to the ground within one block of my house. But what I also found was I also found a really tight, strong community of people that had owned their homes for generations, uh, that knew each other, that knew everybody's kids, that kind of knew what was going on in the neighborhood. So there was this kind of duality to the neighborhood. Yes. Uh, it was scary and awful for a while, too, but I found, uh, you know, to balance that out, um, so much love. And I, in the book, I call it this kind of radical neighborliness, where you know, when my lawnmower broke, people would come over that I didn't know real well and mow it for free and just be a good neighbor. Uh, things like that that uh, I don't think always get talked about in terms of Detroit and what what Detroit is. So there was, a, there, there was certainly a bit of both. Um, and just as dangerous and scary as the neighborhood was, it was just as loving and kind too. So a, a real balance. But there, there was one moment, and it's a, it's it's tough to read a moment where things got so difficult to you that it, you describe yourself as not a particularly religious person, but you basically knelt down and, and prayed to God for for some help with with this house. <laughs> yeah. Well, describe that moment. Yeah, well, you know, uh, I was cool. I had no heat. It was like the second winter that I didn't have heat. I went through one full winter and almost another one without heat. I had absolutely no money. I was putting everything into the house. I was just at the end of my rope, you know? 
And, uh, yeah, like I said, I'm not, I'm not a huge religious, per, uh, religious person, but I didn't know what else to do. And it was the first time in my life I, I, I got down on my knees and I prayed, and I'm not ashamed to say so. And, uh, you know, it seems that things got better. I don't know. It's a, you know, religion's a tough, tough issue because people have so many, it's so personal, and people have so many different kind of feelings on it. Um, but for me, you know, I was a stone-cold atheist for a long time. And it seems that, uh, to me, the, uh, you know, this kind of modern atheism was coming out of abundance rather than principle. Mm. And they didn't have a lot to offer to people, um, you know, who were struggling, who were just cold and tired and hungry and begging for release. So now my relationship with uh, religion is much more complicated because of that. I know there's certain people who would say, no, he's just absolutely foolhardy and naive, and he could have so easily been killed, and there'd be no book, and and this is, you know... You know, you know, a lot of people are going to have a different viewpoint of this, but man, we, the, the Detroit desperately needs more people like you, and it's getting it's getting it. People who will, you know, take really major risks with their lives in, in support of this city that is starting to become really great again. But it, the, it's these neighborhoods that that need all the work and that need people like you. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate you saying that. Number one, I think that I'm not really alone, uh, and not only in, in Detroit. Yeah. I think that uh, not only me, but very um, a whole lot of people see the world as in be, being in crisis right now. And we've kind of let things go for so long that one of the only options is to, you know, put one's body on the line, uh, despite whatever you think of these things. You can see that place like Standing Rock, Occupy, and... Uh, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, people are, are, are realizing that we have no other option. The great kind of equalizer here is climate change. If we don't deal with climate change, uh, so I'm talking about millennials, people in my generation, we're not going to have a world to give to our children. So I don't, I don't think I'm particularly unique. I am doing this in kind of my own way. Uh, in Detroit, but I think there are people all over the world that are doing the same thing. So I don't think I'm alone. How did this? Um, how did your story be- become a book? It didn't instantly become uh, this highly regarded, well-reviewed book that just came out recently. Uh, w- w- what what happened first? Uh, so I read a story um, for BuzzFeed, um, uh, a long-form story. I think it was seven thousand words or something, which is like. 14 pages, um, very long, um, about, about this. And that story went viral. I think people spent an average of 22 minutes reading the story, which is about the length of the television show, length of a sitcom. So I was really happy I could capture people for that. Um, but people really seemed to connect to it. Lots and lots of people read it, almost 2 million. Um, and based on that, I uh, got a book deal to expand that story, which was the idea. So that's how that started, yes. Got it. Got it. The, uh, the, um, the, the it's it's also fascinating to read. And I, I I felt your anger when when you uh, stopped by your house and there there's a bunch of people sitting in your yard um, drawing your house and this this uh, this. Uh, well, it almost seems like it's going to that close to turning into a physical brawl with some uh, Ivy League professor. Oh man, I, I I felt your anger so much. Talk talk about this incident in your book. What happened? 
Yeah, so I, I came home one day. My neighbors had been calling me at work. I was working in suburbs at the time. And they were saying, you know, people are sitting out in your yard eating lunch, and they're sitting on your porch, and your dog's going crazy. And I'm, what is going on? Uh, and I didn't really know what happened because nobody had talked to me. So I came home uh, early from work, and there were dozens of people in my yard, like, literally painting pictures of, of my house. Uh, and there were people sitting on my porch that I didn't know. And, and you know, I, I, I walk up to somebody, and, and she's a student. Um, she's painting. She's a student at the local university. And she's painting a picture. Um, and I ask her, you know, what, what's happening? She says, oh, my teacher said it's okay. It's okay. You know, she's over there. She was sitting on my porch. And so, you know, like, what's the problem? And I'm like, excuse me, you're... Uh, Sitting on my on my lawn and and, and my porch, and make my dog go crazy. Uh, what's happening here? You know, kind of got into it a little bit. She was talking about how she was there to help us and uh, all those things without even asking, which was extremely extremely paternal. I thought uh, my neighbors had explained to this woman that you know I own the house and they were trespassing nicely a number of times, and she just ignored them, and that's what really upset me. That um, People feel like they can come into neighborhoods like this that might, from the outside, look poor or look impoverished and need um, the help of so-called experts uh, that probably really don't know nothing um, to, you know, come in and explain us back to ourselves. So that 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 did upset me um, quite a bit. And what upset me the most was that, um, you know, that she just didn't listen to my neighbors. She just refused to. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So where are you at now in terms of your career and, and with the house? How is the house pretty? Is it still a work in progress? And are you able to uh, give up your all the, the day jobs you, you had to carry while you were working on the house? Drew, where, where, are you, where do things stand? So I am writing full time now. The house is still nice. The house will probably never be done. I look at my grandfather and my father and my uncles who have built houses. and They're never really done. Uh, but it's nice. It's comfortable. I have heat and all the amenities, you know, I have my, my second bathroom is done. Um, and in terms of my career, um, yes, I'm writing full-time. Uh, for the book, I am beginning uh, to work with The Guardian more. I am writing uh, a number of features about uh, iniquity in the Rust Belt, uh, the upper Midwest. Um, so I will have some more stuff coming uh, in, in terms of that. As for my next book, I'm not sure yet, but uh, I would very much like to do one, so... Um, likely you will be able to see something in the future if you uh, if you don't throw me out already. Thanks for listening to Martin Van Dyke Undercovers and our interview with Drew Philp about a $500 house in Detroit rebuilding an abandoned home and an American city. This has been a presentation of the Ann Arbor District Library. But tonight-